You're listening to Pat O'Keefe. For the New York Knicks against the 76ers, a just thorough beating, especially in the second half. Grimes up top, fades away for three, nails another one. The Knicks 119 and Philly 85. After what we have seen the Knicks look like with Ananobi, and after we saw what they looked like last night in Philadelphia, I think the the goals should be higher. So the Knicks are not devoid of star talent at the top of the roster, and they have more depth than a team like Philadelphia. This group of New York Knicks is the best collective Knicks team that we have seen take the floor night in and night out since the Carmelo Anthony-led 54-win team from 2012-2013. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Eight different teams held leads of 25 points or more. 28 of the 30 NBA teams were in action last night. They had 14 games. You had the Knicks blowing out Philadelphia by 36 points. The Brooklyn Nets, now they win. They snapped their five-game losing streak. They beat Oklahoma City 124-115. to The Nets led by as many as 32 points in this game. OKC was playing as well as anybody in the NBA, and the Nets were in a miserable stretch, but they come out and they knock down 14 three-pointers, and they got 23 points from Nicholas Claxton. There are some months where Nicholas Claxton can't score 23 points, but he had 23 last night as Brooklyn beat OKC. Um, The Lakers continue to be a mess. They won the in-season tournament about a month ago at this point, and now... After losing to Memphis last night at home, 127-113, the Lakers are two games below 500 at 17-19. and 19. What John Morant has done coming back from his suspension has been impressive. He has not missed a beat. They were 6-19 and 19 when he came back. They've gone 6-4, and four, the Memphis Grizzlies have. They still have a lot of ground to make up to try to get into the playoff or the play-in conversation in the Western Conference. But And this is kind of, you have to take this with a grain of salt when you're analyzing schedules. I went through the Knicks' upcoming schedule before. I said nine of the 16 games they play in January are against teams with losing records. One of those teams is Memphis. And when John Morant is playing for Memphis, even though the record for the entire season is a losing record, when he's there, that is not a sub-500 team. So you have to take that into consideration. A Metropolitan Entertainment welcomes Tool to Madison Square Garden for two nights, Friday, January 12th, and Saturday, January 13th. ESPN New York has your chance to score tickets at ESPNNewYork.com or on the ESPN New York app. Scroll down to contests and submit your entry. Brought to you by Metropolitan Entertainment. Tool tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. A lot of folks want to chime in on the Knicks after their beatdown of the 76ers last night. A 36-point win on the road. You could do so at 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Anthony in Harlem. Anthony. Zach, good afternoon, buddy. It's it's great to hear you talk about the Knicks because I think you know them as good as anyone on the radio. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah, I mean... Listen, the, the, the pickup of OG was – I think this Knicks team is like – they these pieces fit better than any Knicks team I can remember in a long time because the word you use redundant was perfect for RJ and Randall. Like, the one thing about RJ, he never developed a three-point shot. And I think moving forward this season, it's all about putting guys on the floor that are going to play defense and can shoot the three at around 40% clip because Randall and Brunson, man – they just command so much attention in the in the paint, attacking the hoop, that 
when you put the guys on the floor like McBride and Grimes last night, that was like exciting to see. Because if those guys can shoot it at around 40%, the way that the Knicks can play defense in the half court, especially McBride, who's an elite on-ball defender, nobody's going to want to play them in a playoff series with that, with that formula. Uh, you know, with McBride, Anthony, and thanks for the call, if he could shoot 35% from three because of what you just said, he is a dogged perimeter defender, extremely hard worker. That's how he earned his spot in this league. That's how he has now earned his spot in the rotation. He was four for four last night in the first quarter. That's obviously not what you would expect from anybody every single night. If McBride can just hit 35, 36% of his three-pointers. He's got a rotation spot. Quentin Grimes is a 40% three-point shooter. You know, the Grimes thing, he lost his starting spot. He was not playing well. The first month and a half of the season, he shot one free throw. He just, he did not fit in the starting lineup. And a lot of that is because of what we've been talking about with R.J. Barrett's presence. Brunson dominates the basketball. Randall dominates the basketball. And Barrett dominates the basketball. The problem with Barrett was twofold. Number one, you can't, under any circumstances, have three guys who dominate the basketball so much. And if you do, they have to be Hall of Fame level players, which is what the Clippers have right now with Harden and Kawhi and Paul George. But those guys are all going to the Hall of Fame, and they have a terrific offensive head coach in Ty Lue, and they have figured out how to share the basketball and make it work. The Clippers are one of the best teams in the NBA right now. You know, those three guys, Barrett's not on that level, all right? So you already have Brunson doing what he's doing, and you already have Randall doing what he's doing. So... When you had Barrett dominating the ball, there was nothing left for Quentin Grimes. And that's even with a center at the time, Mitchell Robinson, who didn't demand the basketball at all. So this shift for Quentin Grimes, I think, is going to unlock something in him. We saw it last night in the fourth quarter when he scored 19 points. You need to see more from him. But he was a 40% three-point shooter last season. And a lot of... Barrett's a good player. Barrett's going to be an NBA starter for... The next 10 years of his career, he'll average between 16 and 18, 19 points per game. All right? The hope was in that top-heavy draft of 2019 with Zion Williamson going number one and John Morant going number two and R.J. Barrett, who was the obvious choice at the time. There was no debate. There was no speculation. R.J. was the third-best player at the time in that NBA draft. And R.J.'s had a good career. He just hasn't had, when he's been playing, the type of career that we've seen from Zion Williamson when he's at his best or John Morant when he's at his best. Unfortunately for Barrett and unfortunately for the Knicks, he's not at that level. And the Barrett cases, it's different. It hits home different when it's the homegrown talent. And Barrett, at the time, he represented the hope. And his style of play when the Knicks picked him up was what the Knicks needed at the time. In 2019... When the Knicks finished third in the lottery, they had no identity. You know, their their whole hope, they won 17 games that season. Their whole hope, that was when they traded Porzingis um, to free up cap space. That was when Durant and Kyrie Irving were going to be available. There was hope that you could convince those two guys to come to New York and win the lottery and pick Zion Williamson. None of that worked out. You know, Durant and Irving went to Brooklyn. 
Williamson went to New Orleans because the Pelicans won the lottery, and the Knicks fell to third in the lottery that year. They had no identity. So on a team that's a 17-win team, bringing in a highly touted star from college who is a ball-dominant player, that's okay because he was instantly the face of the franchise, and there was nobody. There was no Brunson. There was no Randall for there to be any redundancy offensively. So when the when they drafted Barrett at the time, it made sense. And then when the Durant and Kyrie things fell through, well, then they switched to Plan B, and Plan B was Julius Randall, and it was Marcus Morris, and there was a couple of other guys, and they didn't get much better until they fired David Fisdale, and then Mike Miller took over on an interim basis, and then Randall started playing a little bit better. And then the Knicks were at least, after they fired Fisdale, a representative NBA team that first year. And then they brought in Tom Thibodeau, and everything changed. Tibbs comes in. Randall goes from a guy who put up 20 points and 10 rebounds but really didn't impact winning at any stage of his career. He had never been to the playoffs. And in his first year, Tibbs... Turns helps turn Randall into an all-NBA player and an all-star. And the team went to the playoffs that year. And R.J. Barrett, let's not discount what he did here. R.J. Barrett was the second-leading scorer on that team that was the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. And then the next year, he became a 20-point-per-game scorer. All right? But then... After that year, you bring in Brunson, and Randall continues to evolve as a player. Randall's better now than he has been. Randall's gotten better, except for that second year under Tom Thibodeau. When Randall took a step back, he had a couple of feuds with the fans. His body language was not that great that year. The team as a whole, every everything took a step back in Tibbs' second year. But since that point, Randall has continued to get better as a player. He was more efficient last year. He's more efficient this season. You have Brunson now, who not only wasn't on the team when they drafted Barrett, but he is so much better, far and away better, than I think most Knicks fans even envisioned him being before they signed him to a free agent. So now all of a sudden, the pick that made sense in 2019, the no-brainer third overall pick, ball-dominant guy, you can kind of make him the fresh face of the franchise. Well, those attributes of R.J. Barrett's became less important with the additions and the development of guys like Randall and Brunson. So now you have to move in a different direction. How do we change the construct of this team? How do we get this team to a next level? Well, let's not bring in a quote-unquote better player than R.J. Barrett. Let's bring in a different type of player, someone whose skill set fits what we need. What we don't need is more guys clogging up the lane, shooting subpar from three-point range, and needing the ball in his hand. What we do need is somebody who can space the floor, cut to the basket, and most importantly, be a Swiss Army knife on defense. And that's how you get to the trade with OG Ananobi, and that's where the Knicks are right now. Let's go to Jay in Rockland. Hey, Jay. Hey. Hello? Hello, Jay. What's going on? Hey, man, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, just wanted to make a couple of points about the Knicks. Uh, what, number one, the trade they did for Ananobi, uh, I think that's a great trade. Uh, you, you know, losing uh, IQ was hard, but, you know, he, uh, Ananobi fits the team like a glove. I mean, he's that prototype six, seven wing who can knock down the three, guard the opposing best player. That's a great pickup, and you're seeing the difference in the team. Number two, you know, everybody's talking about the Knicks need, like, a superstar and all that. You know, number one, 
there's only a handful of superstars in the league, the true superstars, like the Giannis of the world, the Kevin Durant, Embiid. None of these guys are coming. None of them are available. Now you talk about stars. Even then, there's only a handful of stars that could be available. So I think that the team, the way they're playing right now, I think the Knicks should be looking at adding, uh, you know, a star, not like a superstar, and, you know, hold all, all to all these picks that never uh, may even uh, be able to tradable. So I think somebody like, you know, if Chicago goes into uh, full rebuild, I think they should look into add a guy like DeMar DeRozan to the uh, team that you have right now with the Knicks without losing anything. Imagine a lineup of... Jalen Brunson, DeMar DeRozan, I don't know, Julius Randle, and you keep, uh, you know, Josh Hart and Dimizino. I mean, you look at that team, that team is scary. I don't think anybody would want to play that team. That team is talented with three elite scorers and and the depth, and Knicks can make that happen with the draft picks they command and the Ivan Fournier um, expanding contract. I think Knicks should be looking into something like that. I don't think adding Donald Mitchell is making this team better because him and Brunson in the backcourt, I don't think that's an ideal fit. I think uh, Knicks should be looking into something like adding a DeRozan, and I think this team can make some noise in the playoffs. Jay, thanks for the call. I would add Donovan Mitchell before adding DeMar DeRozan. Mitchell's a better player. Mitchell's a better offensive player than Jalen Brunson is, just in terms. I, I don't think Mitchell's completely engaged right now. And Cleveland, by the way, continues to win. You know, they lost Evan Mobley. They lost Darius Garland. Mitchell was out for a while. And it looked like their season was starting to spiral out of control. And they've continued to win. They've kept pace with the Knicks and the Pacers and the Heat and the Magic and all of those other teams. So credit to them. That being said, I still don't think Mitchell has been completely engaged this season. He's going to be a very interesting name to watch in the offseason. I don't think that they move off of him this year because they traded so much to get him, the Cavaliers did, to Utah. And, and I think in their heart of hearts, they probably know that this year's their last year to make a run with that core. And look, it's it's a core of three all-star players. Jared Allen's been an all-star. Darius Garland's been an all-star. Mitchell's a multiple-time all-star. And a guy in Evan Mobley who, while he's plateaued a little, was at one point thought to be a projected, no doubt about it, all-star. So the core is still there and solid for Cleveland. Mitchell's still the guy who would help this Knicks team get to a different level. Now, this goes back to the RJ Ananobi trade and why. Uh, here's another benefit of that trade. If you were to bring in Donovan Mitchell prior to the trade and now shoehorn him into a lineup that includes Brunson, Barrett, and Randall and Donovan Mitchell, that just wasn't going to work offensively or defensively. Ananobi makes that so much more palatable for the Knicks to fit in a guy like Mitchell who dominates the ball and has the ball in his hands because that's one fewer guy in R.J. Barrett being replaced by O.G. Ananobi that you're kind of competing with on your own team. So the Ananobi addition, and this is another byproduct of the trade, another advantage of the trade for whatever the next move is for the Knicks, whether it's this season whether it's next season, in the offseason, it makes the Knicks much more flexible because Ananobi does not... He, he brings a lot to the Knicks that a lot of other guys do not do. Okay, there's more guys out there that do what Randall does and Brunson does and R.J. Barrett does and not nearly as many that do what OG Ananobi does. And it just makes the team more malleable. 
You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Joe Leo, I know you're tuned into the St. John's Villanova game. It looks like for the second day in a row, we could have a uh, New York in Philly beatdown because St. John's and Villanova are playing right now. And St. John's, keep an eye on them. I know there was a lot of excitement when Patino came in and it took them a few games. They had some eyebrow-raising losses early in their schedule, but they seem to be rounding into form as they lead Villanova today 20-7. to Yeah, I mean, it looks like St. John's was the team that is originating in the Philadelphia area, not Villanova, and, you know, maybe this could be one of the statement wins. I'm shocked that there's no, you know, with, you know, all the Villanova guys that the Knicks have on the team, I know they have a back-to-back, but maybe push the uh, the game in Washington tonight to, you know, 9 o'clock Eastern yeah, so they I'm can sure uh, catch will be this okay game. with that. Yeah, I, mean, I can't believe he didn't let them stay behind and go to, uh, it looks like, I don't even think it's at Wells Fargo Center. It looks like this one's in Finneran Pavilion, which is the nice uh, newly renovated on-campus arena for Villanova. That seems like something Tibbs would do, right? Allow Jalen and Dante and Josh and Archie to to stick, at, stick behind you guys. We'll see you in Washington. You know, be there by 5.30. The Wizards game tonight. I mean, load management, take a night off. I mean, the the Nets got fined a hundred grand for for benching players. What did you think about that? You're a Nets fan. We, for, first of all, what did you think about at, in the time uh, the action of holding those players out like Jock Vaughn and the Nets did? Maybe I'm kind of mute to it because I, I, this is just the NBA in 2023. I know that they have changed away some of the rules for the MVP voting and everything's going because the amount of games that you can miss. But I didn't really have a big problem with it, especially with the way that the guys who did play, they actually played. Jalen Will, Will, uh, Wilson had a career night that night against Milwaukee. It was a close game. I think it was a six-point game in the third quarter before Giannis and Chris Middleton said, enough of this, we're going to win by 20. So I really didn't have a problem with it. I'm shocked that it's that little. I, I thought, you know, if you're going to make a statement and you can't bench your players, especially at home, it would be closer to 750 grand, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, as a fan, it, it does stink if you want to see Mikhail Bridges play against Giannis and you go and he's not playing or he plays for 12 minutes and then they, they sit him down. But I, I don't know. I, I'm used to load management at this point and, and know that it's going to be factored in some way. And that's somehow. sad that, that you're used to it already, I think. Um, and we'll get back to the calls in a moment. Did you see the initial returns for fan voting of the NBA All-Star game? I have not. You have not. Okay. I don't have it up in front of me, but one thing I did notice, uh, they released, I think, the top 10 of guards. Brunson was middle of the pack, fifth or sixth. And then they released the top 10 of front court players. Not on the top 10 in the Eastern Conference, Julius Randle. Somehow, some way, he'll make All-NBA by the end of the year. This is for all-star voting. Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges with, what, a fraction of the fan base and not as good a, or productive a player as Julius Randle somehow is in the top 10. You know, it, it just, it's funny. People just, I don't know what the reason is. Maybe they're still burned by that first year when the team was no good and they fired Fisdale and they were 4-18. and but it's amazing after all of these years, and I understand his game is not for everyone, but his production should be for everyone. After all these years, there are still people that just can't get on board with Julius Randle. He's Giancarlo Stanton. 
That's he's who he better is. than John Carlos Stanton. He's so much better in this town but than Stanton has been. From, How dare you? From fanfare, like that's who he is. Yes, will he have some incredible moments? Now, Randall hasn't had the postseason success that Stanton has, but you get one opportunity to make your statement here in New York, and Randall flopped. In a lot of the ways, it also, to another Yankee, it's reminiscent of Garrett Cole, who got his chance to redeem himself. Randall had that opportunity. He was playing on a bum ankle last postseason, so maybe maybe this year in the postseason he can make up for it, but he's got a really tall task and, and big hill to climb to get over that hump and get in the good graces because, I mean, even if he does, Pat, this is Brunson's team, not his team. Yeah, but I think he's okay with that. If you watched him this year, I think that's understood now. There was a little bit of a tug of war last year. By the time we got to Game 6 in Miami, the season-ending loss, it was clear to anybody watching that it was Brunson's team because Barrett was off that game, Randall was off that game, Brunson had, what, 44, 43, 45, whatever it was. Uh, Clearly coming into this year was Brunson's team. And I think part of the reason for the team's success and for Randall's more efficient play this season is the fact that he understands that it's Brunson's team also. So... Look, the the Randall to Stanton comparison, I get what you're saying, but just in terms of how productive Randall has been in a Knicks uniform compared with how productive Stanton's been in a Yankees uniform, that's a tough comparison. Maybe it's Lindor if I'm trying to make a baseball comparison. Maybe. Maybe. Lindor's been more productive. Yeah, he has, but he's also getting a bad rap from Met fans. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Sal in Brooklyn. Hey, Sal. Pat, good afternoon. How are you, my good man? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Hey, from a, from, a, from a trade perspective, this is where a player makes a team better. Maybe the Knicks got rid of, got rid of better personnel. If you do it body to body, you know, what uh, skill set this guy has as opposed to that. So maybe the Knicks got rid of better personnel, but you have to give something up to get something back, and this Ananobi just fits this squad better. And by doing that, now Grimes isn't playing with that pressure. Grimes knows he's coming off the bench, and he's not playing with that pressure. If I put up four shots, I have to make three, otherwise I'll be back on the bench. And by bringing uh, 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 oh my god, see when you lose names when you're on the radio, uh, McBride. There you go. Yeah, McBride's got that football mentality, man. That guy's a free safety back there, you know, a cornerback. So you're bringing in McBride and Grimes, you're not losing nothing defensively, and at least Grimes will give you a better shooting percentage from three. So when the B squad comes in, it's not like a major drop-off. Of course, they're not the A squad, but at least they can keep it where it is to let your starters get their rest, and then when they come back, they can maintain – probably increase on that lead. So it's a win-win. I wish these guys well in Toronto. It's not like if we have hate for them, let them excel and succeed. But it wasn't going to happen here, that's all. So to get rid of something, to get something that makes the team a little better, I'm down for it all the time. So we'll see what happens with this squad moving forward. Well said, Sal. Thanks for the call. I think the key to all of this making this work is Grimes. If you look at what the Knicks are, and, and last night, was the first time where you really got a lot of production off the bench. And they're still figuring it out. I mean, Tom Thibodeau for the last three years had basically the same set rotation, right? Um, Randall and Brunson would play just about the entire first quarter. They'd come out 
late first quarter. They'd come back in about seven minutes to go in the first half and play together. So they'd start the third quarter, and it would be the same thing. You'd play the first 10 or so minutes of the third. You'd sit till about seven or eight minutes into the fourth quarter. The game dictates when you put them back in or not. And look, he's he's a creature of habit. We know that from watching these Knicks teams. You know, he likes his nine-man rotation. He likes to put the same guys in at roughly the same time every single game. Now, this is different. You know, now you know you know your starters. They're set, and the starters are playing really, really well. I haven't seen the updated numbers, but their first two games, the Minnesota game, the Chicago game, the five starters, when they're on the floor together, Brunson, DiVincenzo, Ananobi, Randall, Hartenstein, had a plus 44 net rating. That means for every 100 possessions that those guys are on the floor, they are outscoring the opposition by 44 points. That is an ungodly high number. Very small sample size, so understand that. But they've played extremely well. And while Tibbs figures out what to do with this bench group, he has leaned more heavily upon his starters. And that's what you would expect him to do. But Grimes, Hart, and McBride, those are the key guys here, right? Grimes, you need, where are you going to get the scoring you lost from quickly? That's got to come from Grimes. Grimes has to pick up the slack in that area because Grimes is as good a shooter, if not better, than Emmanuel quickly. And then, by the way, an added benefit of Grimes, he's bigger and he's a stronger defender than quickly. All right. Well, what about quickly's playmaking ability? That's got to come from Josh Hart and Hart grabbing the rebound off the backboard, pushing it up the floor. Last night he had, what did he have? He had six assists in 30 minutes off the bench last night. And then McBride, like I said earlier, with his defense, if he can shoot 36% on three-pointers, and you only need him for 12 to 15 minutes a game. You know, we're not talking about somebody who we need you know, for 30, 35 minutes a game. We already got that from Josh Hart coming off the bench. Quentin Grimes can do that if need be. McBride, if he can just give you 15 minutes a game, knock down 35, 36% of his three-pointers, not turn the ball over, and not be a liability on offense when he's out there, then that can pick up the slack in what they lost off the bench with the departure of quickly. As far as the starting five goes, it's better. It's better now, after just three games, than it's ever been. You want shooting? You got Brunson and you got DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo's a fantastic shooter. Isaiah Hartenstein is playing out of his mind. He's not giving you much less than what you were getting from Mitchell Robinson. Maybe the rebounding. I shouldn't say maybe the rebounding. No, I'll say maybe the rebounding. But he's even protecting the rim now. Hartenstein's got, I think, 10 block shots over his last three games. Scored 17 points last night. You've got two guys that can get you a shot. In Brunson and Randall, especially when Randall has this increased level of um, aggressiveness in taking the ball to the basket. And then you have Ananobi, who spaces the floor better than you had before and can knock down an open three-point shot. And when things break down, he's a very good instinctual basketball player who cuts to the basket. And whether it's DiVincenzo or Brunson or Randall, they will find him. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. It's a busy night for the locals. I think, is everybody in action tonight, guys? Wow. Hey, hello, Harvey. Oh, hi there. We have, uh, obviously, we have the Knicks here. Sure. 
against the Wizards at 6.30, our pregame starts. With who? Who's on the pre and post? I think that might be me. You think? I would hope so. Pat O'Keefe. You, you're not sticking around for that, are you? No. You and Joe, you're done? Yeah, I'm done. Uh, Islanders, that's on 98.7 as well, correct? Yeah, how about I, that? I believe we go right from Knicks into Islanders. Uh, that's a, a 10 o'clock start. Islanders at Golden Knights. Rangers at Canadians. That must be a, a 10.50 vehicle. How am I doing? Am I doing all right? Yes. I believe that's 10.50. 10.50. It's uh, 6.30 pregame there. Devils against the Canucks. So no Nets tonight. No Brooklyn Nets tonight. So almost a full house of local. Although if you had to take one out, you'd pick the Nets, right? You you would like to think I would. We'll never know, I guess. I'd probably take out the Devils, to be honest with you. Okay. Which I know is going to hurt you. Well, no. You're very prideful of the Garden State. Sure. What's the reasoning for? They're from New Jersey. Did I not make that clear? You're not from New Jersey, right? I'm not. Where are you from? I'm from Westchester. Figures. Yeah, figures. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> let's go. Let's go to. Uh, let's go to Michael in Manhattan. Michael, what's going on? Michael, you with us? No oh boy. All right. Well, let's try again. Let's go to uh, Jacob in White Plains. Hey, Jacob, how you doing? Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call. Uh, So regarding the trade the Knicks made, people keep talking about how the Knicks have gotten better on the floor after this trade. And I'm not arguing with that because um, Emmanuel quickly didn't exactly fit into the squad with Brunson there already. But the thing is, when you're trying to build a great organization that's going to be great for a while, you have to make trades that either at least maintain, if not increase, the amount of total value that you have. And I can't look at this trade and say that we didn't give up more value than we got for it, regardless of the fact that we got better on the, on the floor. And over a long period of time, like that's not a functional way to run things. If you're going to make a trade like that where you give up more value than you got, it has to be a trade that pushes you into being a contender. And this trade clearly didn't do that. So you don't like the trade? Because I feel like, you know, we're giving up more pieces and more value than we got. And so even though we're better, like I said, like I admit we're better on the floor right now, in the long term it's not the kind of trade that leads you to being a quality organization that succeeds over a long period of time. Because you're just giving up stuff and, you know, not getting back as much. Well, I'll say this, Jacob, but thanks for the call. If you put all of the players in this trade in a vacuum, you know, quickly and Barrett and Ananobi and – include Achua and Malachi Flynn if you want. Achua's in the rotation, so we should definitely include him. You know, if you're adding up, you know, career war for each of the players, I would imagine, not having done this exercise myself, but Toronto probably got back in Quickly and Barrett a higher career war than the players the Knicks received in this trade. But you have to factor in a couple of things. Number one is fit, which the caller did allude to. But number two is what does this roster look like next year? All right, because prior to last season, the Knicks signed R.J. Barrett to a four-year, $100 million extension. So Barrett, going forward, would be making $25 million a year. After another year, year and a quarter of evaluating what R.J. Barrett is and his fit on this Knicks team, I think that that money could be better spent elsewhere and I would say that the Knicks agree because I think that was part of their thought process in sending him out 
Ananobi is a guy who could be a free agent at the end of this season. The Knicks very much want to re-sign him, which is another reason why they traded for him. Because by trading for him, they get his bird rights, which means that the Knicks can offer him more money than any other team in the NBA. So they get to sell him on the franchise for the next four or five months. They get a high-quality player to put in their starting lineup. And... Most importantly, let's be honest, they can pay him more than everyone else as a free agent. So a lot of that money that they want to spend and invest in Ananobi, well, it's offset by what you have sent to Toronto that you were going to pay R.J. Barrett. And then the other part of this is the quickly piece. And yeah, is quickly better than Precious Achua and Malachi Flynn? Yeah, but that's not the comparison that we're making here. What was quickly going to be on this Knicks team? You were going to lose quickly. You were, you were going to lose quickly at the end of this season. There, there could be a team, depending on how he plays, and he's playing well. You know, if you haven't followed those guys in Toronto, quickly I think has scored at least 20 points in two of his three games. He's the starting point guard. Um, he's still a restricted free agent at the end of this season. And I think part of the reason why Toronto made this trade and wanted quickly included in the trade is because they would like for him to be their starting point guard going forward. And because they have now acquired him, they have the right because quickly is a restricted free agent to match any offer that he receives in free agency. So both teams got somebody who they want to go forward with. The Knicks with Ananobi, presumably on a new contract. Likewise, Toronto with quickly. And then the Barrett pieces, it's fairly obvious. He's a guy who could still score 18 points a game. And he's a hometown, he's literally a hometown hero. He grew up in Toronto. He's probably and. Canadian basketball led by Shea Gilgis-Alexander and their run to the bronze medal at the FIBA World Cup. It's as good as it's ever been. But R.J. Barrett from a very early age, even though the um, the career statistics don't bear this out, just in terms of players who come from that city, the suburb of Toronto, he's as big a star as they've ever produced in basketball. So the fact that he's home and playing in front of that hometown crowd is a big deal also and factored into this trade. But you want to say that Quickly and Barrett are more valuable in a vacuum than Ananobi? Yeah, but the Knicks are going to offset what they want to pay Ananobi because he's a better fit with the money that they're now saving by not paying R.J. Barrett going forward. And the Knicks were never going to bring back Emmanuel Quickly. And in order to get this highly coveted asset that they've been chasing after since at least last year in Ananobi, you have to give to get. And they had to include Emmanuel Quickly Otherwise, Toronto would not have done the trade. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Last night, the Knicks scored 75 points in the first half. That was their highest scoring half of the season. They had four players who had at least four three-pointers in the game. Just the second time that's happened in franchise history. It happened, wow. Yeah, 2021 against the Orlando Magic. They won by 36 points, which was their largest win on the road against the 76ers since 1972 when they won by 48 games. Um, they win by 36, as I said, 128 to 92 in Philadelphia. Let's get back to the phone. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Glenn and Syosset. Glenn? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for taking my call. How you doing? So my my question, I've been listening to you guys. You've given some great insight here, great information. But my thing with Julius Randle is this, and I'm going to ask you. 
You alluded to his aggression before. And why does it seem like sometimes I'm watching him, I see two different players. I see the guy that's aggressive, the guy that's going to give you 20 points, 10 rebounds, and then sometimes I'm watching him and I feel like he's just taking plays off. You know, I get it. He's turning the team over to Brunson, but sometimes I feel like I look at him. He's standing between midcourt and the three-point line, and he's just standing there. This team has a lot of energy. They're exciting to watch. Even on a turnover, Brunson, DiVincenzo, even Hartenstein, they're running down the court, getting back on defense. I don't even see him in the, in the picture. Why is it sometimes I feel like he takes plays off and all these other guys are playing at 110%? Well, because, Glenn, thanks for the call. I think you're focusing on the plays during the game that Randall takes off. He takes plays off. Show me an NBA player who doesn't take a couple of plays off. And that that just goes, Joe, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Like, Randall's the only guy on the Knicks who takes a couple of plays off. The guy never misses a game. He plays 35 minutes a game. Since this trade, he's playing 38 minutes a game. Go back since he became a Nick in 2019. I think there were four players in the NBA who have missed fewer games than him, and none of them play the kind of minutes that Randall plays. And yet, we've got people who, despite this team starting to hit its stride and really should be making you think that they could take another leap this year, largely on the back of what Julius Randle has done, and we've got people calling in and focusing on the two or three plays a game where he's not in the picture. I would hate to have those fans watch LeBron James play some defense it, on it, nights it, and where he just stands in the corner and takes like Now, who did he compare that to? He compared, let, me, let me look this up now. Who did he say was, was busting their tails and getting up and down the floor? I heard Josh Hart. Did he say DiVincenzo? Yes, he also said DiVincenzo. I thought all right, so let's just let's look at this real quick, okay? Josh Hart plays 28 minutes a game, okay? Dante DiVincenzo plays 21 minutes a game. Julius Randle plays 35 and a half minutes a game. And once again has not missed a game this season. And this is why with some fans he's never going to he's never going to win. He really isn't. I know the playoff performances have something to do with it. He was disappointing against Atlanta. He did not play well against Cleveland or Miami, although he played both of those series with a sprained ankle last season. The Atlanta series two years ago was disappointing. He was the focal point of that team, but it was also a team that was severely exposed once they got to the playoffs. And I would say... Take a look at that 2020-2021 Knicks team that earned home court advantage in the first round and was the number four seed and lost to the Hawks in five games. And you tell me if it's possible that they might have overachieved during the regular season to get to that point. Overachieved because Randall had, at that point, a career year. There was no Brunson on that team. R.J. Barrett was in year number two and just starting to come into his own as a reliable 18, 19 point per game scorer. Do you guys know who the starting point guard on that team was? Can you tell me? I want to say Alfred Payton. It was Alfred freaking Payton. He was the starting point guard. So yeah, um, it's understandable that when they got to the playoffs, Nate McMillan designed a scheme to basically throw four defenders at Julius Randle. Because his best options to knock down an open shot on that team were Alec Burks and Derrick Rose. Alec Burks might be returning to the Knicks. 
based on the way he's playing in Detroit right now. Alec Burks, you know, he could knock down an open shot. That's all I'll say about him. <laughs> it just it make this is but this is the point with Randall. That's 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 a crazy call that that that's what the focus is right now. That Randall takes plays off. You go around the NBA, everybody takes we're talking about two or three plays. Depending on how you look at a game, you can pick pick out pick out or pinpoint two or three instances every game where someone is not busting it back on defense. And they're not critical plays either. Right. Does he have defensive lapses and defensive breakdowns? He does. All right, he's not a plus defender. He never has been. But you've got to look at the entire the entire package with Randall. Let's go to uh, Craig on Staten Island. Craig. Hey, how you doing, guys? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Craig. Thank you. Um, so I just wanted to call. There was a caller that called in a little while ago. He talked about the future of value and the assets for the Knicks. And I really disagree with him. And I got to tell you, I'm a season ticket holder to the Knicks full season for about 12 years now. It doesn't mean I know more than the next guy. But, you know, just to let you know the level, I watch every game they play. If you watch R.J. Barrett play, he's not an efficient player. And I don't think he was viewed outside of New York as an asset. I think we're lucky to get rid of his contract, to be honest. I mean, he's a likable guy. I know a lot of fans like him. They wanted him to do well. But he's basically, like you said, he's an 18-point-a-game scorer. Yeah, he shoots a low percentage. He turns the ball over. He doesn't do anything else great. I think he he didn't live up to his expectations. And I think he wasn't viewed outside of New York by GMs and other NBA so-called experts as an asset. So I don't think we, you could look at him and say, hey, we got rid of a big asset. Teams didn't even want him last year when they were looking to trade for a superstar. They were more looking for Grimes. So I think quickly is definitely a big hit. It hurts the offense, but I think you pointed out we weren't going to sign quickly anyway. I think it's a great trade for the Knicks. I don't think it hurts them in the future. They kept all their first-round picks. I, d- I think overall is a really good trade. This guy is clearly a good fit. You could see the difference in defense. You could see the difference in ball movement immediately. Um, I couldn't disagree more when people say, oh, we hurt our future with this. Because I've heard that a few times. I just I completely disagree with it. It doesn't hurt them for the future, and it makes them better in the present. And it's not necessarily that, oh, Ananobi's a better player than Barrett, well, which he probably is. He's definitely a better fit than Barrett. And he's a better all-around player than R.J. Barrett. Now, the other part, you have to look at the trade in its totality. It wasn't one for one. So now you've got to factor in the quickly piece, too. So that makes it a little more even towards the Toronto side. But you have to – it's not just about this year. It's about going forward. You know, quickly was an asset that there was a very good chance you were going to lose for nothing at the end of the season. So if you kicked him into this trade now so that you could get a guy who you have coveted for a while in Ananobi, that's the cost of doing business sometimes. The big thing that worked against R.J. Barrett is where he was drafted at number three overall. And not only that, but the two players who, although they've had their issues staying on the court consistently, Zion Williamson and John Morant, um... Those two players, when on the court, have performed at a much higher level than R.J. Barrett. If Barrett was, you know, a late first-round pick, a 20th pick, or the Knicks signed him as a free agent, if he didn't have the the path that he had in New York, I think that he would be viewed much differently. But when you're the franchise's highest draft pick since Patrick Ewing, who is at worst— the second best player in the history of the franchise, 
then people get extra excited about that and the expectations are ratcheted up. R.J. Barrett is a fine player. He is not the player that Knicks fans hoped he would be. And uh, with this particular team, he is not the fit that the Knicks needed him to be. And that's understandable because when they picked him, like I said earlier, when they selected him five years ago, it was a very, very different-looking Knicks team. There was no Tom Thibodeau. There was no Leon Rose. There was no Julius Randle. There was no Jalen Brunson. Okay? R.J. Barrett came into a team without any of those important people that are most responsible for where the Knicks are right now. Think about where they were then. 17-65. and 65. Um, that led to the Knicks picking R.J. Barrett third in the draft to where they are now. 47-35 and 35 last year, second round of the playoffs, and on pace to supersede that this season. 